0: This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end.
1: To prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels. We're talking high school prospects, college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. As always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our big supporters of the show and sponsors, Blue Wire Pods, DoorDash, and Bet Online. Now remember, you can interact with us on social media, that's at Prospects101Pod, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Great way to stay up-to-date mm-hmm. with the show as well as be alerted of any new content that we release on your favorite podcast platform. But as always, I'm I am introduced. I am joined by both my co-hosts and fellas. Open weekend was glorious, even if most of the games were lopsided. What do you think, Kenny? What do you think, Pastel?
0: I, I loved it. Um, you know, it's football. It's college football. That's what, that's what the show's about. That's what we all love. And, you know, yeah, some of the scores were a little lopsided, uh, and the games weren't necessarily barn burners. Um, I think the closest game probably was SMU and Texas State. That was really the, the closest head-to-head game. But, hey, I'll take it. I loved it. It was, uh, it was a good weekend. It was a good primer to what's to come this weekend.
2: You know what makes it fun, Glass, is the fact that we knew players on pretty much every team. And how do you know those players? It's by listening to Prospects 101. That's we, right. That's we point right. out players like Jordan Smith, Spencer Brown, for, you know, UAB players. Uh, I mean, shoot, even Jonathan Adams Jr., the wide receiver from Arkansas State. Like, we're saying players that if you don't listen to this podcast, you're never going to get to know these players unless you do your own research, which makes those games exciting. It does. Last week was exciting.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just being able to turn on the TV and have college football on. And in some of the stadiums they had, you know, like – capacity, but it was just nice Thursday night to be able to sit down and I was doing a fancy football draft and I was able to get on, you know, one monitor, be able to pull up the UAB game and watch Spencer Brown uh, Mm -hmm. do exactly what I thought he was going to do, take the rock, hammer it down, rush for over a hundred yards and just drag dudes up and down the field. Uh, One thing that's surprising that I was surprised on is the amount of points that were scored this weekend. I didn't I, – I thought that there would be a lot less scoring because of the practice – you know, the minim, the minimal practice schedule, the minimal practice time, the minimal contact. So I was pleasantly surprised to see the amount of high scoring that we saw from some of these teams. Now, granted, some of these matchups were really lopsided coming in, Uh, you know, like – yeah, let's just put Marshall and Eastern Kentucky, um, you know, BYU Navy. I, I That one sh- stunned me by how much BYU is just able to handle Navy. But I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of scoring that we saw this weekend. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, the funny thing is before that Navy-BYU game, I believe they under hit four out of the six games. So while there was scoring, there really technically wasn't as much scoring as Vegas predicted there would be this past weekend.
1: Yeah, well, that that's kind of what I was taken taken back of is the fact that I, I thought that Vegas thought that the, there'd be a little bit more scoring than what, what we saw. I, I thought that we'd even see less scoring than what we thought, and yeah. that was just my gut. That, that was just kind of my gut reaction. To that. Yeah, but,
0: th- yeah, there was multiple teams that scored into the 40s and 50s this week, and I, I got to say, I wasn't necessarily expecting that to be the case. I wasn't thinking maybe it'd be a bunch of unders because I thought combined the teams could hit the over, but I didn't foresee a bunch of teams scored, like Marshall scored 59, Army scored 42, UAB scored 45, BYU scored 55, North Texas scored 57. Like I didn't expect to see one team put up those kind of numbers across the board like we saw. I mean, it was almost one in every game. I think that was the majority than than versus the minority of the games this week. So that was interesting. But the other team just didn't seem to hold up on the end of the bargain for Vegas to hit the overs.
1: And, and a lot of that had to do with matchups. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, we we saw some some lopsided matchups. Marshall, Eastern Kentucky being one, you know, UTEP, well, actually that's not a good one, but like North Texas, you know, Army, Middle Tennessee State probably thought Middle Tennessee State was gonna do more than put up a big old goose egg, wolf. which is what they did. Yeah, Wolf, watching them was Wolf. That was that was a took, tough I one took to watch. Middle
0: Tennessee State money line too. Ooh, uh, gross. You're unpatriotic. That's right. All right,
1: guys, well, let's hop into some big news, and, and, and in, in my opinion, this first one took me by big-time surprise, especially everything we got going on. But uh, un, uh, University of Southern uh, Mississippi head coach Jay Hobson resigns one game into this COVID-ridden ridden season. Successful coach uh, by all accounts, everything he did at Alcorn State. Uh, you know, multiple nine-win seasons at, at, at Alcorn State, got hired at Southern Miss, had winning seasons all there, had three out of four, four of the years. He had went to bowl games. Uh, certainly a surprise. What's kind of your initial reaction from what we saw there?
0: Yeah, so he wasn't hired by the current AD, and we normally know how that goes. That's never a good thing for the head coach when a new AD takes over because you're not their guy. And then he kind of had some weird some weird situations. Like he tried to hire Art Briles. Uh, to be his offensive coordinator, and we all know the Art Browse story. You know, rose to take Baylor to unforeseen heights, coached Robert Griffin to a Heisman, et cetera, and then you know, a scandal, after scandal after scandal after scandal. And so he tried to hire him as his OC, which was blocked by the university president. And then he recruited a JUCO player who, at the time of recruitment, had been accused of of rape at knife point. And his admission was blocked by the university. So it was just kind of one thing after another, like bad PR and bad optics from Jay Hobson. And I think a president and an AD who didn't hire this guy finally just said, hey, you know what? I think we're going to make a change.
2: Unless it was Jay Hobson coming to the athletic director saying like, hey, I just don't want to coach anymore. Then I think that is bad leadership from the top to the bottom at that university. Like you don't give one coach a one game leash. Like at that point, you should, you should have just fired him in the off season. Like what a waste of an off season for Southern Miss, unless which there are reports that Jay Hobson said that he had that talk with the AD and something was on his heart. Now I'm not sure if that's just because he just had one of the most devastating losses in school over the last three or four years, but I don't know. To me, that's just that's just that signs of a bad program.
1: Yeah, it, it's a little bit surprising to me. It screams stress, right? That this dealing with COVID 19 sounds like probably him the ad and the president didn't see eye to eye on being able to give his football players and his program the resources that they need during this time in order for them to be successful and it sounds like probably a lot of frustration when it was a heart-to-heart I bet it was very intense heart-to-heart I'm sure there were some raised voices on both sides uh but certainly something that kind of took me by surprise after one game um you know for me that's kind of the top news of the week but uh, besides that guys The other big news of the week, we get Power 5 football this week. We get to see some big boys play. We get to see UNC. We get to see Notre Dame. We get to see Texas. We get to see Clemson. Uh, And we get to see – I I would say there are a couple really decent matchups here for schools that really had to piece together a schedule here in COVID-19.
0: Yeah, you got the ACC, the Big 12. Um, the AAC has got games. I mean, we're, it's awesome, but especially from a P5 perspective, the ACC kicking off. And I think, uh, mostly it's their non-conference opponents besides Wake and Clemson, uh, and, and Duke and UNC or Duke and, uh, um, Notre Dame. Notre yep. Dame. Yeah. So I, but, uh, it's good. It's good to see the big, the big dogs coming in as, as fun as it was last week to see a lot of the G5 teams kick off. Let's be, let's be real. You know, P5 rules of the roost. That's who people pay to watch, pay to come see. And now we get to see the big boys step up to the plate.
2: It's finally here, right? Like, we kept talking about, like, is football going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I feel like these last two weeks we were kind of like, eh, this is football, but this is really FCS football or some lower tier colleges. Like, no, it's game on now. Like, Clemson is playing. Duke is playing. Notre Dame is playing. Like, big time. can't believe I said Duke right there. But big time. (laughs) AAC. Hey, it's Power well, 5. Local yeah, local power, power 5. Power 5. Like, it's happening. Like, at this point, it is happening this week. Now, I remember we say last. It's up for discussion. But it's happening this week, which means college football is back in 2020. For Love sure. I,
1: I I will tell you, besides the P5 games, because I'm sure I'll watch all of those, but at 12 o'clock, UNC Syracuse comes on, which I'll, I'll certainly have on. But the other one at 12 that I'm going to be flipping through, friend of the show, Will Healy, Takes the sidelines for Charlotte against Appalachian State. Yeah. I like that matchup. That one's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, sp- uh, also because some news came out from Appalachian State about one of their best players, and Pastel is going to get in that later. But keep your eye on that matchup. I think that's going to be a really, really fun game to watch. Of course, I know who all of us on this show are siding with on that. But uh, it, it'll be fun after we we'll watch College Game Day and come on at 9 o'clock. At Wake that, Forest,
0: so. by the way. We're going to pick Charlotte's
2: money line every time, aren't we? Every game, Charlotte's money yeah. line. <laughs> I know,
0: it's whatever. hard not to because, like Gless said, he's a friend of the program now. We're the fighting Will Healy's.
1: That's right. <laughs> so, Coach, if you're out there, just know that we're pulling for you. And we're probably betting on you, too, so don't let <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into the opening coin flip. Uh, This is a great question. It's always a fun debate. Most overrated coach in the FBS. Kenny, start us off. Give us your case.
0: Man, so I had a hard time because you know Dio Babers came to mind and Pat Narduzzi came to mind and a couple other guys um, that I thought were getting a little bit more love than they should have came to mind. But ultimately I settled on Gary Anderson. And he gets a lot of love, guys. He gets a lot of love for – you know, being kind of a, a decent coach at Utah State, and really he's a Utah guy through and through. Um, you know, he played at, at Utah in college. He, he coached at a lot of small schools in Utah. Then he coached at Utah. He coached at Southern Utah. And then he went to Utah State. And he had some decent success at Utah State, you know, uh, his first stint. He went 4 and 8, 4 and 8, 7 6, and then he had a really big season and went 11 and 2. And he parlayed that into a job at Wisconsin. Where, you know, on on paper you might look at it and go, well, he went 9-4 and four and 10-3. and three. Like, that's not bad. But he didn't do as well as his predecessor, and he didn't do as well as his successor has done at Wisconsin. I guarantee you Wisconsin would rather have Brett Bielma and Paul Chris come back before they welcomed Gary Anderson back. Uh, they just weren't the same Wisconsin team with him there. And then he went to Oregon State, which Oregon State's a tough place to win at, but he was awful. Like, he was – terrible there. They were one of the worst P5 teams in the nation, and, and I would be surprised if, if they weren't behind a ton of G5 programs in terms of talent there. Uh, and then, you know, Jonathan Smith came in right after him at Oregon State and has turned the tide there. You know A lot of people aren't going to be surprised if Jonathan Smith makes a bowl game at Oregon State this year, and he couldn't next even year. sniff it. Or, next so, year. Sorry, next yeah. year. That's right. Gosh. I, Come uh, on, Pac-12. Get, get your I stuff know. together. It just means less. <laughs> um, but, you know, nobody, he, he's got Oregon State pointed in the right direction, and then he goes back to Utah State, and, yeah, he makes a bowl. He goes 7-6, and six, but everybody talks about this guy in such reverence. And to be honest, outside of one really good year in 2012, I just don't see it. I, I, just, I just don't see it. I don't get what all the hype is about. You know, I don't get he's got I don't get why he considers to be like, oh, well, if he does well at Utah State again, he'll get another big P5 job. When guys like Dave Clawson uh, and guys like David Cutcliffe are still toiling away at, you know, lower tier P5 programs and have done way, way more with way, way less and don't get near the reverence and, and praise that this guy, Gary Anderson, gets. So for me, I think he's probably the most overrated coach in FBS, in my opinion.
2: I like that, Kenny. Like, honestly, I do. I think that's a good find. I don't think that's the right answer here, Like this is an easy one. But it, I just think it's so obvious that how can it not be? And that is Willie Taggart, right? Mm-hmm. So the coach for Florida Atlantic. I got a quick trivia question for you guys. In the last ten years, how many times has Willie Taggart won ten games?
0: I'm gonna say once.
2: I'm gonna go zero. zero. So it's been, it was one time with South Florida. He won ten. He was ten and two, mm-hmm. right? So. So here's another fun fact. At Western Kentucky, he didn't even have a 500 record. He was 16 and 20. At South Florida, he didn't even have a 500 record. He was 24 and 25. At Oregon, obviously one of the best Pac 12 schools in in the country, he has one season, he was 7 and 5. And then at Florida State, he wasn't 500, he was 9 and 12. But the trend is every single school was better, right? Like South Florida was a promotion, Oregon was a promotion, Florida State was a promotion. Like, it's just mm-hmm. unbelievable how many opportunities this guy has over a decade and still gets promoted after one 10-game winning season in his career. Already at Florida Atlantic, I guarantee you, like, I don't, I don't think this story's over. What Lane Kiffin built there, he's going to ride that success at Florida Atlantic and probably land another big-time job in the next two years. It's just unbelievable what – I just don't know what it is with them. I mean, he, I guess he, it's just the timing of it. Like, well, he's a he's he's coach or – like, He's a big time recruiter. I yeah. Guess.
0: Uh, so he's a dynamite recruiter.
2: Dynamite yeah. recruiter. And that's why he got Shador, Shador Sanders, right? When the yeah. uh, Deion Sanders. Yeah, Deion Sanders son. Four star yeah. uh, QB. Like, yeah. So he, he's recruiting well. He's just not winning. He's not winning at all. He has a below 500 coaching record in almost at every single college besides Oregon. And that was only one year, and 7 5 is horrible for Oregon. So, like, yeah. overrate it. Get out. Of, like, Coach Taggart, get out.
0: He was, he was one of the guys I had considered and I, and I, and I pulled him back just a little bit because Western Kentucky was actually impressive. I don't hold him that into that high standard because that was before Western Kentucky became what Western Kentucky is. He kind of started that train. They were a, a Division One AA program that had just moved up to FBS, and then he took over. They went two and ten. They were they were a really bad roster, and then he actually took them to you know a seven to five, seven to five season, and parlayed that in the South Florida, and didn't do bad at South Florida either. Where it really came off the rails was Oregon and Florida State. But for me, it keeps coming back to, gosh, it's weird. He's overrated and underrated to me because I thought what he did at Western Kentucky was fine. I thought what he did at South Florida was fine because remember. He took over a, a scandal, a scandal South Florida program because remember Jim Levitt had gotten fired and a bunch of players transferred because of misconduct with Jim Levitt. So I kind of, I kind of don't look at the overall record. I look at the progression at those two schools, and, and I thought it was, I thought it was justified for him to keep moving up. Now, obviously, Oregon was a bat; he didn't do well there, and, and it was kind of one off. But then I looked at Florida State, and you know, for me, look before I looked into it, I was like, gosh. You know, he stunk it up at Florida State and he did. But then you got to remember Jimbo Fisher was five and six the year before and got and and was relieved before he got there. So it's like, you know, Jimbo in 2017 was just as bad. And I I just don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's a victim of just weird circumstances or what. Like so my, my only I only not know.
2: On that is Florida State. If you look at the recruitment classes from like 2015 to 2018, it was like top ten, top fifteen, top ten. So it was not the what? the not the talent. And we, honestly, remember who was uh, Francois? He was like a Heisman candidate for him at one point. And well, I
0: know well, well yeah. I mean, he had a devastating knee injury.
2: But then even James Blackman was supposed to be one of the big-time uh, players for him. It's just like none of these yeah. players can't. None of these players, besides maybe yeah. the can't out for him.
0: I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still on the fence about him. I think he's, I think he's overrated because he hasn't proven he could do it at a big-time program. But I think at a G5 perspective, I think he's a good hire. I and think I'll, he'll do well at Florida Atlantic. Well, yeah. I'll,
2: say, I'll say this real quick. I, and I said that his story's not over. He's going to win freaking nine or ten games in the next. Year or two years before Atlantic, and everyone's going to think he's good again. So like, I don't think this argument ends in the next yeah. year or two. He's going yeah. to parlay that into a Tennessee job or an SEC football team, and we're going to realize the same history repeats itself. And he's going to go yeah. six and eight at another team, SEC school. Yeah. D- uh, before
1: I kind of settle my winner here, let me just get some quick feedback. One, Gary Anderson. I think that's a really good find. I'll say this: 2014 at Wisconsin, uh, they they won their division, went seven and one, went ten and three season before had another nine win, and and we covered this on other podcasts. Wisconsin's been one of the most consistent nine, ten win programs in the country the last 20 years. So to Kenny's point, well, you always get good talent there. It's pretty hard to lose at Wisconsin. It still is the Big Ten, and at least he was able to coach there. What didn't make sense for me is he left Wisconsin after winning a division title, going to a New Year's Day Bowl, and leaving it for Oregon State, which is known as one of the worst Power 5 conference jobs ever, mm-hmm. right? It's very hard to recruit there. It's very hard also to win there because you have to compete against Oregon, Washington, and and even in some years Washington State and Stanford. Like, um, um, You've got to have some dynamite diamonds in the rough you in would, order to compete in that division. You
0: know why he left, right? He, he he's on record as saying he couldn't recruit at Wisconsin because he thought the academic standards were too hard. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, well uh, what?
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't know why you take Wisconsin, and go to Oregon State because that doesn't make much sense to me yeah. at all. That was a head scratcher when it happened. Obviously, at Oregon State, did do well. It's hard to win there, um, you know. But he's been he was relatively decent at Utah State, obviously that eleven two season." And then you know, going seven and six last year, and going to a bowl game. So I, I do think he's kind of I think the hype is too much uh, to go with Kenny. But I look Ta- Taggart to me is, is the worst p five is the most overrated coach in FBS, and I'll tell you why. To go to Oregon and place fourth in the North, and go seven and five and four and five in conference with those facilities, with those players that go there. Um, and then go to Florida State and then roll out maybe the worst offensive line I've ever seen at a school with the prowess <laughs> that Florida State has last year. When Kenny and I were watching just some uh, oh. All 22 film of Florida State, I couldn't believe what I was I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe that Florida State rolled out those collection of five donks like it may it may as well have been a Division two school at that point. What he's been able to do, in my opinion, at tier two and and potentially Florida State a tier one school and basically run it into the ground as far far as how awful they were, I think it's it's kind of pathetic. Now, what he did at South Florida, he had two nice years there, Western Kentucky, okay, I could buy that seven and five, but I think he's a great recruiter. I don't think he's a good coach. I don't think he's a good on the field coach. I don't think he has a good eye for assistants. I don't think he develops talent and I think that's evident in what they did at Oregon and what he did at Florida State. The Florida Atlantic, to Pastel's point, he's going to ride the coattails there, but, man, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all if he goes, like, you know, 9-1 this year and then the next season, or if they play 9 games, 10 games this year, I'm not sure what their schedule is, and then next year goes, like, 8-4 and four or something, and then parlays it into, like, a South Carolina job, and then he's miserable there too. I just don't think he's a good coach on the field. So, Pastel, you get my vote on this one. I think Willie Taggart's the most
2: overrated coach in FBS. Boom, baby. I like the way you think, Gus. Mm, there go.
1: Gary Anderson's a close second, but I, but I got to give Pastel that. All right. So, guys, let's talk about some players here. This is Prospects Vote 101. Week one just happened. Kenny, why don't you start us off with players that improved their stock for the NFL draft here after this last week?
0: Yeah, so I got a handful of guys that I really enjoyed seeing play over the weekend. Uh, Number one was Dahu Green, wide receiver from Arkansas State. Big guy, 6'5", 210 pounds. Really showed that he could use his body to his advantage. He's, He's dealt with some devastating injuries over his career. At one point, he was an Oklahoma commit, and they transferred to Arkansas State. And he just really, really looked good. I thought he I thought he did well. I thought his hands looked good. He, he catches the ball away from his body. He's able to go up and get it. He's able to use his wingspan. Uh, I was just really impressed by how physical he was and, and how he looked when he was healthy. It's the first time he's really looked when he's healthy. Uh, my second guy I liked was uh, Terrell Robinson, running back from Army. I'll kind of dig into him a little bit later. And same with Grant Wells, the quarterback from Marshall. That was another guy I I, I was really impressed with. Uh, the the fourth one isn't really a player. It's BYU's offensive line. According to Ooh. Pro Football Focus College, dominated. they sent out a tweet that said that it was it was the highest graded offensive lineman from week one of college football. The top four were all BYU players, graded 95, 94.9, 92.1, and 91.1. They absolutely dominated Navy. And then the fifth guy I really really enjoyed watching was Riley Cole, a linebacker from the um, University of South Alabama. He was all over the field making plays. He had just moved; they just moved him to strong side linebacker this year. It was his first game at strong side linebacker, and I thought he did a really phenomenal job. He was disruptive. He was just he handled everything out in the field, and you could and he was almost involved in every play you could see against Southern Miss. I, I thought he was phenomenal, and those were my five guys who. Of player stock I thought rose uh, through last weekend's performances
1: yeah I really liked the Riley Cole one right there he had five five uh five solo tackles seven assisted double-digit tackles against you know southern Miss. that's a a, a decent conference USA opponent mm-hmm. and one that that has been relatively stable over the last 15 20 years as far as a program so uh, I, so I really like that one. I thought that he performed really well on a big stage for South Alabama. Pastel, how about you? Who, who, who did you see uh, from from a player's
2: perspective that really helped their stock this weekend? Kenny, I love how you said the BYU, offensive line. Because you were 100% right. It was like a varsity team going against a JV team. And, oh, God, that was ugly to watch on mm-hmm. Navy. My the players that I saw, speaking about uh, Southern, uh, Southern Miss, South Alabama, and the firing of Jay Hobson, the person that got Jay Hobson fired, is a wide receiver from Southern Alabama who is Jalen Tolbert. Oh, my God. Like, mm. this guy, here's the thing. He didn't come out on the scene this past game. This is now dating back two games ago. Uh, this, so, Jalen Tolbert, six 6'3", 195-pound uh, receiver. He had six receptions, 169 yards, and two TDs last game. But remember this. last The very last game he played, which, by the way, they only won two games last year, was the first, first Arkansas State, who beat you know, I think it's a pretty decent program mm-hmm. for a smaller school. And he had four touchdowns that, that last game. So in the last two games, he now has six touchdowns, 313 yards. And this name, Jalen Tolbert, I think has now risen onto the NFL draft mm-hmm. board of many NFL scouts that I never even heard about until this past weekend. So big ups for Jalen Tolbert. Uh, Reggie Roberson, Jr., you've heard about me speak about him multiple times. The big thing with him is hell. Like, I think he is one of the best – players out there, especially uh, in, in G5 program. And I think he is a dark horse for the AAC player of the year. But he had six catches, 99 yards, and a 51-yard touchdown catch. If he stays healthy, that's his only question mark, in my opinion. I think this guy can race to, to, you know, a fourth round and higher pick. So it was just good to see him healthy again. Because, remember, he was one of the top receivers in college football until so he got hurt last year. No one's really talking about him. So big ups to Richard Roberson, Jr.,
1: So just like how we have players rise, we also have players fall, right? It's just like the stock market. Stocks go up, stocks go down. So, Kenny, who uh, who this past weekend
2: did you see their stock fall? Dot tv And use promo code BLUEWIRE.
1: You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Now, ordering is easy. All you have to do is open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop off. Now, you can choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Also, many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code BlueWire. That's five dollars off your first order and zero delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter the promo code Bluewire. Don't forget the promo code BlueWire for five dollars off your first order with DoorDash.
0: So I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm pulling the plug on Shane Bouchel because I actually really do like him. But I watched that SMU Texas State game uh, very closely because I had money on it for one, but Two, I just thought he didn't—he didn't look that impressive to me. Like, yeah, you look at his stat line; it was 72% completion percentage, he averaged 10.2 yards an attempt. But he threw two very bad picks, and I mean, very bad picks that kept Texas State in the game. He had two opportunities to really put the hammer down the Texas State, and they didn't do it. Now, I'm going to chalk this game up to, you know. Not having an off season, I, I really am. I, he just didn't look crisp to me. He didn't look like he was. He was. He he, he went through his reads great. I just I thought overall he looked timid and, and it just didn't look. It didn't look like the Shane Bouchelle we saw all last year. So I'm gonna chalk it up to a new OC into an off into an, a COVID-ridden off season. So, but to me, his stock did fall a little bit because he wasn't that impressive versus a Texas State team that it is, was one of the worst teams in college football last year and they're a little bit improved, but they're not that much improved to where he struggled. So to me that was that was kind of a, a disappointing effort by Shane Bouchel. and then my second player whose stock I thought fell, I thought was the worst player of the weekend and that's Asher O'Hara, quarterback from middle Tennessee State. I was I mean this guy would look like he didn't even belong on the field guys. he was 9 of 14 for 46 yards with two interceptions, and they had 18 yards rushing. Less than 100 total yards on the day. This is from a guy who threw for 2,600 yards last year and ran for 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns, Like he and, and had 30 total touchdowns last year. He was a dynamic playmaker, and he looked like he didn't even belong on the field versus Army. Like, I know Army's good and they're decent, but, I mean, he, he dropped multiple snaps – and then he had an egregious time management issue at the end of the at the end of the half. Like took a took a, dropped a, dropped the snap, fell on it with like 12 seconds left. Lazily got up, got in shotgun and hiked, snapped the ball with three seconds left, and then threw like a little swing pass as time expired. When they were in field goal range, they were down I think 17 to nothing or 14 to nothing at the time. So instead of getting three points. I mean, it was just, he just looked like he didn't even belong on the field. Like he didn't even know how to play football. I, it was a really, really bad performance. And I got to say, I'm out on Asher O'Hara until he puts together a, at least five or six competent games in a row.
1: Pastel, how about you? What, who did you see kind of their stock fall
2: this weekend? Well, you're going to see quite a trend for SMU players. One, because of the lack of teams last week. Two, that's how high we are on SMU and their offensive talent that they have on that side of the ball. But tied in, Colin Cranston, this is one of those guys that I can't see highly enough coming into the offseason, the way he can kind of torque his body, be a receiver, kind of and really be a decent blocker as well. But last week, he had one catch for 11 yards. And SMU's offense, we're talking about a guy that me and Kenny have both said probably, you know, fourth round, as high as third round type of talent. He had one catch. For 11 yards. Now, there, there's going to be some people saying, Pastel, so. but hey, he got a TD called back on a 42-yard uh, catch-and-run TD play that Reggie Roberson did a blindside block. That was bullcrap. I get that. But if you watch the entire game, yes, he could have been two catches, two yards, and a TD, which sounds like a decent stat number. He just wasn't getting open. Like, he just wasn't. So you take that – even you, if you add that touchdown on there, which should never happened, it, it's just – I. I guess I was just shocked that I didn't see four quarters of him separating from the defense, and that was worrisome for me on a guy that I was so high on prior to the game. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to chalk him up for a loss either. I think he's going to rebound, but one catch for 11 yards, that's not a good sign. The other guy, this one hurts me, man. Talking about BYU's offensive line, I went back and watched that game again because I was just like, Diego Fago is one of my favorite linebackers in college football, and I was like, he had to have a good game. Like, he had – so he had 13 tackles, two tackle for losses. He's 6'3", 245. I was like, it couldn't have been him. Oh, my God, it was absolutely him. Like, the BYU offensive line was pushing him around. He was, his back was facing the offensive line at some times because they were spinning him around. Like, he was not instinctive. He had no clue where the ball was going to go. Yeah, he had that many tackles, but if you were that efficient on BYU's offense, of course somebody's going to get those tackles eventually because it never left the field. So it was just it was worrisome for me. When I thought Diego Fago was more of a fifth round pick, I don't even know if he's draftable right now. After after one week of football, it was that bad for me to watch that game film.
1: Yeah. Uh that one was a tough one to watch. The only saving grace that I'll give Diego is that when your defensive line is getting blown off the ball four or five yards, it can be it can be tough to to navigate yourself in the box when Really, you have no presence up front. I mean, there were a lot of – and I don't want to get too too far into it because I'm going to cover this later. Um, but just a lot of missed assignments on, on the, the Navy defensive front from you know when I was watching the game, which was tough to watch. Um, so let's see if those guys can re- rebound this upcoming week because I believe both teams have games. So, uh, Kenny, why don't you cover some elite G5 prospects of the weekend?
0: Yeah, and so normally this will be a – I'll pick a G5 and a P5. Uh, player, and and I'll call them the elite G5 and P5 prospect of the weekend. Uh, But obviously this week there was no P5. So the two G5 guys I selected were Tyrell Robinson, uh, running back from Army. Guys, this guy might be the best athlete I've seen at Army since ever. I mean, he was unbelievable. Every time he touched the ball, he he averaged 10 yards a pop. He was nine carries for 94 yards, and this guy has legit track speed. I mean, every time he touched the ball, I felt like he was about to hit a home run. He was about to take it to the house. And it was everything Middle Tennessee could do to stop him from doing it. It was – it was quite impressive, and I think he's going to be an absolute problem for defenses this year in that triple option offense. He's a redshirt freshman. It was his debut, and and I, I got to say I was absolutely blown away by the athleticism and the speed he showed. And the second one was uh, to continue the trend of redshirt freshman, quarterback Grant Wells at a Marshall. You know, about a month ago Isaiah Green transferred from Marshall, and everybody was like, "Huh, two year returning starter? What's that about?" And they named Grant Wells the starter. Uh, No kidding, Isaiah Green transferred. This guy looked like the real deal. I know they played Eastern Kentucky in their FCS program, put up 59 points, and just absolutely spun the ball wherever he wanted to throw it. And was throwing it to multiple guys. I think I saw at one point four different tight ends had a reception in that offense. Like, he was getting everyone involved. 300-plus yards, four touchdowns, uh, excellent yard per average on a, on, on attempt, sorry, yard average per attempt. Um, just absolutely incredible. It looked like he'd been the starter there for four years, not his first ever start. So I'm really excited to see what he does in, in conference USA play this year.
1: Yeah. Doc Holliday had to been super pumped for what he saw out of his quarterback and it was quite the performance. So that, that guy stuck out for me too, Kenny. I thought just an impressive performance. I know it was an FCS opponent. But when you're able to just go out there and dominate, it should give you a pretty good indication of what you can expect from Marshall this year. Now, this one gives a shout-out to my South Lake coaching brethren, uh, if they're out there listening. But this segment, he stinks, Coach. He stinks. And you know who stinks? Uh, not a prospect. Navy's defense. That's who stunk. Oh, my gosh. One of the worst defensive performances I can ever remember seeing from a service academy. And it, here's what stuck stuck out about it. One – I understand that Navy wasn't able to, like, hit people in practice. So it's essentially, like, pastel, like, when we'd go through two days and, like, this first five days or like, no contact. You're out there in, like, shorts and shirts and, and just helmets like that. And I don't know if that's what Navy did. But if that is or something like that, it certainly showed. But what was bad about it was that not only did they came come out and just weren't physical and just getting blown off the ball by BYU's offensive line – the gap responsibilities of the defensive line and the linebackers in the secondary was awful. I remember I was watching a play and BYU running backs taking it for 25, 30 yards. And then they did it from the end zone camera to take a look <laughs> at it. And there's no one within three gaps. Like the BYU guys were just trying to figure out who to block because there was no one there where they, where the play was going. I mean, they weren't lined up correctly. Uh, they weren't getting off the ball, they weren't physical, they weren't gap sound. They did nothing right, and the game was over, and it was over early. And I I tell you what, Kenny Montalolo's got a lot of work to do to be competitive this year because the offense was bad enough, but I I tell you what, you're not going to win many games when you're giving up 55 (laughs) points, especially the triple option school when you're kind of controlling the clock, converting third downs, marching down the field. And I get it, like the offense was three and out, three and out, three and out, putting the defense in bad position. But at at, at some point, the defense got to be able to pick you up, and th- they did none of that. So I tell you what, they stunk this weekend, coach. And I hope they get it together against Louisiana uh, Monroe this weekend because holy smokes, if not, that is going to be a long season for for the Navy midshipmen.
2: I remember watching that game at one point and thinking, like, oh, we should have handed the ball off. That's use offense, right? thinking there's a wide open gap. And then they're like, oh, 30-yard pass play as well. As in, like, whatever option the QB chose was going to win because the Navy's defense was flat-footed. It was Swiss cheese out there, man. They didn't know how to play football, it looked
1: like. Swiss cheese defense, there's holes all in it.
0: It got so bad. I was helping my girlfriend move Monday night, so I had the game playing on my phone, like, in the back of the U-Haul and, like, in my pocket as I was moving. It got so bad, I was like, I'm going to save battery life. This is pathetic. And just swiped it off the screen, like it was embarrassing, yeah
1: it was it was tough to watch and I'm a navy fan, so I hope they get it together because I'd really enjoy, it. Hey, but it, it couldn't have been two like tales like totally different, right like army and navy pre pretty, pretty much the same when it comes to, but like army did so well, and Navy just did so awful, so all right, guys, that's enough week one talk let's get into week two our prospects one one game day radar. Here we're going to kind of mention some prospects that we really like this week based on the mat, uh, matchup. So I'll go ahead and start a, start us off. Number one, uh, against Coastal Carolina, we've got um, Kansas playing, and they're uh, all uh, Big 12 running back Puka Williams. All-purpose back. He might be the best all-around back in the Big 12. And my question is, is, can he dominate bad competition? Last year he only had three total touchdowns. Yeah, he had some really good games against Texas and Oklahoma. He also had some really bad games. TCU, West Virginia, Kansas State. Can he be more consistent? So I would like to, I would, let's see what I can get out of Puka Williams. He's a junior. If he has a really great season, I could see him potentially committing and being one of the better running backs here in the 2021 draft. Puka Williams definitely got to uh, look out for second guy, Boogie Basham, edge rusher out of Wake Forest. How does he fare against the NFL-capable left tackle and the right tackle at Clemson? So we've got Jackson Carmen, who by a lot of accounts will be a day one or day two pick when he comes out. And then you got Jordan McFadden at the right tackle. So can Boogie Basham show his dominance against NFL-capable tackles? And, and that's important. I remember we had – um, we had, a, guy, uh, we had the, uh, a, a podcast guest who studies offensive and defensive line uh, for the NFL, and his biggest thing was when looking at guys coming out of college, especially on defense, is how do they do against NFL caliber talent? Sure, you can dominate against in, against a, a Western Michigan or an Eastern Kentucky, but can you do it against the NFL boys? Can you do it against Clemson? So big weekend for Boogie Basham. If he has a great week uh, against Clemson, regardless of what happens in the game, I could see him shooting up draft boards. And then the third guy, sh- sh- without saying maybe the best free safety in the country, Andre Sisco from Syracuse. How does he perform against that high-powered North Carolina offense powered by Sam Howell? And then a very experienced receiving core uh, where four, three of the four starting receivers are seniors. Uh, can he kind of dominate that secondary? Can he come up with a turnover or two? And can he be over, overly dominant? At the free safety position for mm-hmm. him to be able to kind of shoot up those boards here in 2020. So those are three guys that are on my radar that I really want to watch closely this weekend and see how they perform.
2: I like that, Les. I like uh, Andre Sisco. He's going to go against a what we all think will be a top ten quarterback one day, and Sam Howell. So I would love to see how he goes about his preparation and playing UNC and what he does as an output for for this week's games. As far as my guys, uh, Kenny and i got a couple. I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. But Jalen Phillips, remember him. He was the number one recruit in the nation in 2017. Played at UCLA. Didn't do too well. Was a little bit injured uh, throughout his time there. Transferred to Miami. Thought he was going to take a back seat to Gregory Rousseau. Well, Gregory Rousseau opts out. So I'm curious how the number one recruit in the nation from two or three years ago does in Miami's defense with other uh, transfer, Quincy Roche. That's, that's one of those guys that he has the potential. He has the size. He's got the skill set. Can he actually all put it – can he finally put it together mm-hmm. and uh, have a good year to get on the NFL radar? Another guy, Spencer Brown, right? Like, everyone's high on Spencer Brown based off his production. He's an all-time running back, leading rusher at UAB. But he's playing – like I said, so, another Miami. so he's playing Miami. What we just said is probably one of the better defenses uh, in the ACC. What does he do against good talent? So I'm curious to see how he does for uh, Miami, uh, one of the better defenses he's going to play. Third guy, Dad Newsom the wide receiver for UNC, everyone's expecting, like we just said, Sam Howe to be one of the top quarterbacks in the nation, one of those guys that could potentially be a Heisman candidate uh, as the year progresses. Is Daz Newsom going to be the benefit of that and then jump on draft the draft radar and really propel himself into you know possibly uh, a round four, round three pick just off the arm of Sam Howe? So I'm curious to see how and where that ball goes in the UNC offense. No one's going to be electric. Is it going to be Daz Newsome's hands? I believe it will be. Uh, number four, Gless, I agree with you, Carlos Basham. You're playing UNC – or, sorry, uh, Clemson. What do you do against top-end top talent? I want to see what you can do if you're really going to be a first-round pick. If you sack Trevor Lawrence, you're a first-round pick. If you don't, you're not. Num- number five, Marvin Wilson, you better dominate Georgia Tech's line. This was a triple-option offense two years ago. They don't have the talent there. If you I don't like dominate, yep. then I don't want you as a top-five pick or top-ten like pick that a lot of people uh, expect it. So you better dominate. A uh, little side note for that game. I'm curious to see if one of the most highly talented uh, quarterbacks that they've recruited at Georgia Tech in the last few years, Jeff Sims. I'm curious if he starts. They said they had, not, they, they had their starting quarterback, but they're not going to announce it. to uh, so this Saturday, I hope it's Jeff Sims, because I think this guy's going to be electric and propel Georgia Tech to be a top 25 team in the next two years.
0: Yeah. pass on pump to see you give my boy Jeff Collins uh, at Georgia Tech some love. I think he's awesome. I really like him. Uh, and to just a little side note, as a Wake fan – Boogie Basham, I'm not necessarily interested if he can sack Trevor Lawrence. I'm interested if he can consistently get pressure, because I think he's going to get double teamed a lot this weekend. Um, and, and I'm a little concerned, not concerned, but you know, he's going to get double teamed by probably an elite tackle and an elite guard. So it's going to be a really tough challenge for him to to consistently get pressure uh, and let's see what he can do with it. It's going to be fun, but it's, it's the challenge. If you're, if you're a potential first round pick, you guys are right. This is the challenge you want as a player. So, uh, all eyes on boogie this weekend. Um, for me, four guys that really jumped out that I'm, I'm really excited to see. Uh, one is Levi Lewis quarterback from University of Louisiana Lafayette. Uh very high on this team. He's an undersized quarterback. He's only five ten, about a buck ninety. He's got an abundance of arm talent. He can really spin it. He's got loads of returning firepower coming back offensively. I really do think this could be a coming out party versus a top twenty-five program in Iowa State. Um, the second guy I'm really pumped about is Paris Ford. He's a safety for Pitt. Probably the hardest hitter in college football. This guy is absolutely dynamic. He can play himself into a first-round pick this year with a lot of good play. He's extremely rangy. He's a little bit too much of a freelancer, and that gets him into trouble sometimes. Um, but, honestly, the risk is definitely worth the reward most of the time for him. He, I'm really excited to see him take the next step. You know, He's a hometown guy. He's from the Pittsburgh area, he's from the Pennsylvania area, and he just lays lumber. I'm so excited to watch him play. Uh, next guy is Chuchu Atwell, wide receiver from Louisville, probably the most explosive player in college football. If he's not, he's up there. Uh, he's too small to be a day one pick. He's only 5'9", about 160, but he's an absolute game changer, and What he did last year as a sophomore was incredible, so what he can do this year as a junior with another year in the system, with another year getting familiar with Cunningham at quarterback and the rest of that offense under Satterfield, I I think he could be a Tavon Austin-type player uh, for Louisville, and everybody remembers how awesome Tavon Austin was for West Virginia and how dynamic. I think he could be the same way. And the fourth guy I'm really excited about is Liam Eichenberg, left tackle out of Notre Dame. He's a potential day one left tackle, and he's going to get all he can handle from quite possibly one of the best defensive lines in football, but definitely one of, probably the best defensive line in the ACC, and, and that's Duke. You know, defensive ends, Chris Rump II and Victor DiMuchesi are all ACC guys. They're really disruptive. They they have a lot of tackles for losses. They generate a lot of pressure, and they're some of pro football focus's best returning defensive linemen in the country. So if he can go out and shut down those guys and really limit their effectiveness, it's going to go a long way and be a big feather in his cap to making his case to be a, a first round draft pick at, at left tackle this year. And you know, guys, speaking of Duke and Notre Dame. You know, they have a pretty enticing line. So let's jump right into our betting segment, which is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Bet Online. And I'm going to go ahead, guys, and kick it off with some of the, the five lines that I'm really enticed by this week. Starting off, I'll jump right into it. We'll continue with the Duke Notre Dame love. Duke at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is laying 19 and a half points. And both lines, the juice is 110, so the money's not really going either way. Notre Dame opened at 20, and it dropped down a half a point. I think Notre Dame covers pretty easily. I'm taking Notre Dame in the 19 and a half points. The uh, second game I really like is UAB at Miami. Miami's laying 14 points. Here's the interesting thing. The line opened at 16. It dropped to 14, but now all the juice is with Miami. Miami's currently, uh, if you take them at at 14, they're minus 115. So Vegas is really, really high on that line. They think that's going to be the favorite, but I'm still taking UAB. I think UAB is going to hold Miami uh, to the fire, especially if Bryson Lucero is at quarterback. I'm a little more nervous if Tyler Johnston is the quarterback, but I think Bryson Lucero can hold the game a little tighter. And if he does, I wouldn't be surprised if they pull it out, but I do think UAB covers. So I take them. And the points, um, University of Louisiana Lafayette, I just kind of teased it talking about Levi Lewis. They play at Iowa State. The line, or Iowa State is laying 11 and a half. Both lines are minus 110, and the line hasn't moved at all since it opened. I'm taking ULL in the points. I think they cover. Uh, Tulane at South Alabama. Um, Tulane is laying eight and a half. The, the juice is flowing, though, towards uh, South Alabama to cover that eight and a half at 115 at minus 115 and Tulane is minus 105. Tulane opened as a seven point favorite. They were laying seven points at opening. I'm taking Tulane to cover that eight and a half. I don't think the game's going to be particularly close. I think Tulane's going to wipe them out pretty good. And then the last game is UTEP at Texas. Texas is laying a massive amount at 43 and a half points. Both lines are at minus 110. Texas opened as a 42-point favorite, so the lines jumped up about a point and a half. But I still think Texas cleans UTEP's clock. UTEP's probably the worst football team in all of FBS. Like, they are literally the worst program in FBS right now. I, I think Texas probably put probably beats them by 50 to 60 points.
1: Mm, wow, I like that. Uh, three games that were enticing to me, Kenny, uh, when I saw the lines come out. Uh, two of them are ACC matchups. One is a, a Big 12 team in a in a G5 school. But let's let's start with Georgia Tech at Florida State. Florida State uh, laying the 12 and a half. I'm actually taking Georgia Tech in the points on this one. I I, I I am not a believer in Florida State at all. I know it's Mike Norvell. Uh, his debut at Florida State. I still think they have a lot of work to do in that program. So I'm taking Georgia Tech to keep that one close. So I'm going to take Georgia Tech on the points. Uh, Cle- uh, Clemson at Wake. Wake's 30, 33-point uh, um, dogs. I'm actually going to take Wake to cover that. I think Clemson wins convincingly, but I don't think it's 33 points. So I'm going to take Wake to cover that. Uh, and then Arkansas at Kansas State, Kansas State's laying ten and a half. I'll take the wildcats and the points in that one as well uh i I like it, I like that Kansas State program and I think they dominate that game. So those are three lines that really stuck out to me.
2: Yeah, Gillespie, I think is a pretty good uh bet however i I kind of disagree with you with the Kansas State giving Arkansas state what ten point five I think Arkansas state covers. Uh, That line, so that's probably the one that we kind of disagree on. But the other lines I like are Charlotte versus Appalachian State, giving Charlotte uh, 17 points. I'm going to take Charlotte in that with Chris Reynolds coming back. Again, he passed for 300 yards and four TDs last year against App State. And App State, their starting wide receiver and probably best offensive weapon, Corey Sutton, has now opted out for App State. So I think Charlotte has the ability and will cover that game. Like I just told you, Arkansas State, I think they cover Kansas State. Western Kentucky versus Louisville, man, I really want to go Louisville here, especially, can the way you, you were talking, you know, to well up and everything. That, that offense will be dynamic, but you cannot underestimate Western Kentucky's defense. Uh, so they're giving 12.5 points to Western Kentucky. I will take D'Angelo Malone and that defensive end and that defense for West Kentucky to cover those points versus Louisville. Coastal Carolina, I don't think it's going to be a shock for anybody, but they're, so they're giving them seven points versus Kansas at Kansas. I wouldn't be surprised if Coastal Carolina takes it on the money line and wins that game outright. Mm. So if there was an upset pick to pick, and I don't know if that's an upset at this point, but it is still seven points. But you're going to do a money line pick that you want to make some money on. Do Coastal Carolina versus Kansas? Kansas hey, has, don't, they have two players returning on offense. Like I know Puka Williams is amazing, but they don't have sleep no on Puka Williams, baby. Don't sleep on and, him. Hey, he's gonna he's gonna have to win that game by himself, mind yeah. you. But I'm gonna take Coastal Carolina, and then. Syracuse versus UNC, they're giving Syracuse 22 points. I think UNC is going to be on a mission this year to just, when they can, just kill whoever they can kill. And I think UNC covers that game. So I, I think that's going to be a big win for UNC and Sam Howell. The, the Heisman campaign begins week one for Sam Howell. Mm. Mm. I, I think
0: we all pick different games other than you, got, you and Gless picked Arkansas State and Kansas State, but I think we all picked different games. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that Kansas I State they, one was uh, was tough for me, but Kansas State had a lot of uh, they have two returns on offense, so they, they're losing a lot. And I think for every reason we just said, I, I like what Arkansas State's makeup is for that game.
1: Yeah, I, I just really like Kansas State's defense. I like that they returned seven. I thought that the, they performed really well on defense last year. I think they're they could be a dark horse in the Big Twelve to to pull off some upset. So I, li- I like. I know that uh, they're giving Arkansas State ten and a half, but I still like Kansas State to. To to cover that line so yeah it is cool yeah we all I think that should probably be a goal of ours right all pick different games I think I I think the listeners would appreciate that give them some nuggets just make sure you uh Venmo some money when you guys win for these uh for these picks right here so if you
0: lose Venmo glass yeah oh
1: gosh don't do that
0: oh god oh god if
1: if anybody knows my fantasy football record they know that you know I basically put money on fire anyways (laughs) sure it'll be no different this year i'm in three leagues we'll see how that how that ends up but uh well, it wouldn't be prospect 101's, guys if we didn't talk any recruiting news um so uh the first thing i want to uh, bring up before we get into kind of some notable sign uh you know no- notable people that signed for the 21 uh 2021 and the 2022 class and transfers, decommitments. I do want to talk about what Garrett Nussmeyer did at LSU, planned a trip similar to what Caleb Williams did a couple weeks ago. So, Pastel, why don't you kind of cover a little bit for those who didn't listen to our episode, our recruiting roundup, uh, about what Caleb Williams did to kind of level set and give some context to what Garrett Nussmeyer is doing, uh, the 2021 LSU quarterback commute, uh, commit.
2: So Caleb Williams the quarterback, uh, 2021 uh, commit for Oklahoma, decided to have a a Sooner Summit, is what they called it. He brought a lot of the top recruits, signed and unsigned, that were thinking about Oklahoma, from Oklahoma, and just showed them around campus for two or three days, got to know them. And hopefully those players, you know, would eventually uh, commit to Oklahoma. So Garrett Neusmeyer did the same exact thing at LSU. He pretty much hosted with an itinerary that him and his mom made to come to LSU, Baton Rouge, and really just go out and play some top golf, go out and see the city and really just get to know each other. And the, the funny part about this was one of the biggest unsigned prospects left in the country, Tristan Lee, everyone, not everybody, but there was a good first portion of people that thought that he was going to possibly sign with Oklahoma based off the Sooner Summit. So he goes here, and now all crystal balls are pointing towards LSU. So it's going to be interesting to see what uh, this does. And me and Kenny talked about this in previous segments, but this might be for at least for the next few months. The future of recruiting is recruits, recruiting more recruits, based off of the Sumer Summit, the the Baton Rouge, whatever you want to call it, with Garrett Neusmeyer. But it the it's not necessarily proven effective yet, but I believe it will be. Once Tristan Lee signs with LSU and maybe uh, it was a Kamar Wheaton, the running back, uh, signs with Oklahoma, I think that's going to start getting the ball rolling for these top-tier colleges to really, hey, if you're a big-time prospect, I need you to recruit for me because I can't until this dead period gets just, does,
0: does, Do you think it's only effective if a, if a big-time quarterback recruit does it? Because I feel like that's the only way it's really going to be super effective.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, let's just call this football one-on-one. Quarterback, if you have a good-time quarterback, he's going to be your captain. He's going to be your leader of your team. And think about it this way. Joe Burrow just got uh, named captain of the NFL football team before ever taking a snap. So, yes, quarterbacks, they drive a lot of the operations that happen on the football team. So if you're a big-time quarterback recruit, they're going to need you and lean on you to recruit other prospects because they know you are the leader in the future of that football team. And kind of going into, like, some more of the top signings, uh, real quick, Nolan Rucci, the offensive tackle, five-star player, number 14th overall player according to 24-7 Sports. He officially signs with Wisconsin.
1: Huge uh, he's signing number, for Wisconsin. Yeah, huge,
2: huge signing for them. Number one player in Pennsylvania, uh, Paul Christ, now has, mind you, three offensive linemen. Two of them four stars, and one of them is a five-star player. And these are his top three players and his recruitment class for 2021. It just goes to prove, like what what the makeup of Wisconsin is: offensive line, mm-hmm. a good a tight end, and an underrated defensive end that's eventually going to blow up, right? <laughs> that's just Wisconsin right. football. So another big time uh, big time signing is Peter Delaportes a uh, quarterback signs with Boston College for the 2022 class. He's the number 13, pro style quarterback. He's six foot four, 205 pounds. One of the top prospects in the state of New Jersey. Big time uh, signing for Jeff Haley, or Halfley. Um, I think he's his highest rated quarterback that he has signed to date. So it really goes to show the upward arrow for Boston College. Oregon, I feel like we're starting to say Oregon more and more uh, on these recruiting segments. But Kingsley, Sumatay is one of the top rated offensive linemen. He signs with Oregon this past week. He's 6'5", 280, so he's definitely got the size to fill out a little bit more. Number one player from Utah, ninth grade overall player, according to 24-7 Sports. And then uh, last player I want to talk about is Ken Talley, a weak side defensive end, another 2022 prospect, one of the top players in Pennsylvania, signs with Penn State for the 2022 class. He's 6'3", 230, plenty of size and plenty of growth left in that guy's body, but he's an animal out there, pretty much had offers from every single college across America. He signs with Penn State, just kind of continuing the dominance that Penn State has really built over the last – like 6 years on the recruiting trails. Mm-hmm. Um so really really kind of a big time week in recruiting news. Hopefully next week's uh, the same. Uh biggest uh decommitment this past week was Marcus Allen, a wide receiver from Michigan. He's a three-star prospect, top 500 player. The biggest thing with this one that I thought was interesting is I think he thinks he's better than what he actually is now. Like in within two games, he's had 17 catches, 4 TDs and almost 200 yards receiving in high school football. So I I'm on the assumption that he thinks that he's going to, like, really project to be a four-star player and maybe get some big-time offers that he wasn't getting previous based off of what his stats are in high school right now. So uh, so it's just interesting, I guess, for that. And then kind of just going straight into the top ten, I guess this has been a trend the last three weeks. Who's going to be number one? So this past week, Alabama picked up a big-time uh, tight end, I think, top 600 player. Uh, so they jumped back to number one. Number two, Ohio State. Uh, one of the biggest jumps so far is now is, number or, is Oregon going up to number three. LSU is number four, but watch out for LSU. If they can sign uh, Tristan Lee, they're going to start to eye that number two, number one spot if they can sign a top 11 prospect like him because there's a lot more guys that are leaning towards LSU. So be something to monitor, monitor there. Uh, number five, Clemson. Number six, Tennessee. Number seven, Florida. And then here they are. The Bulldogs, Georgia University, at number eight. They just passed out, predicted point it. Point. They they predicted point. it. Uh, number nine, they fall back a little bit, Miami. And then number 10, uh, University of uh, South, Southern California. So a little bit of movement, nothing too crazy. I think Oregon probably had the biggest jump this week. Uh, and kind of, just, kind of just lurking there in the waters is uh, Georgia. So we'll see what happens over here in the next few weeks.
1: Really shows you the job that Mario Cristobal is doing at Oregon. Um, generally, Oregon's been able to kind of – you know, re, you know, get their fair share of recruits. But Brandon, I think you made the point earlier. I think it's it's well to note that they are tearing up their recruiting trail and getting up to three for Oregon is is, is quite the feat. Figuring that it is not like a traditional tier one blue blood, like oh, you know, like in Oklahoma or Clemson or in Alabama uh, and or in LSU. So, um, you know, g- good job for Cristobal for what he's doing there. Bad for me being a Huskies fan, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, so good for that. And then Brandy predicted it that George is going to start creeping up, creeping up, uh, in into that top ten creeping and up. creeping up. Well, we'll see what happens uh, at the end. of it. Still, still ways to go. Uh, I still predict uh, some big time decommits uh, and and committing elsewhere will happen as the season goes well, on. And,
0: and Corey Foreman was in LSU for that Neusmeyer summit. He's the number one recruit in all of college football.
2: That would be big time if they can land him. And leave. by the way. Which, by the way, also in that thing, they had Tristan Lee's younger brother, who's a 2024 recruit. Yep. He's already six foot four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're, they're eyeing three years from now, right now, four years from now. Oh, my gosh.
1: Just the way recruiting is, man. Just, just what it is. So, well, as always, you can follow and interact with Prospects 101 on social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we're posting our content throughout the week, especially now that we are full-fledged into the college football season. Uh, Make sure you listen, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Again, we have a lot of great college football content coming up now that the season is underway. Make sure, uh, please also give us a five-star review. Got a couple this past week, guys. So the word is spreading, which is great to see. Uh, you know make sure uh, spread the word to your friend any college football fan I think would really enjoy this podcast as we take college football and really kind of put a different spin on it which is a lot of the great feedback that we've gotten uh, but for, for Kenny for Pastel and for Gless enjoy week two of the college football season and we will be here next week to talk review week two as well as, review, as, well as uh, go ahead and introduce you to week three and all those great prospects so enjoy week two guys
0: The wait is finally over. Football is back. My soul cries out Hallelujah. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else.